Welcome to episode 206 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on July 16th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell, and this is a Tux Digital Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some application news, distro news, hardware news, and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with this week, I want to let you know about an event that is happening the end of this month on July 28th through the 31st, and that is SCALE, or Southern California Linux Expo. This is the 19th edition, that's what 19X stands for, and this is an event that I will be attending and this is going to be really fun because not only am I going to be attending, also Ryan and Jill from Destination Linux will also be attending with me. And that's going to be really fun because it'll be like the first time we're together as a uh, a team of podcasters. So that's going to be awesome. And if you want to join, there's actually a 50% discount for the registration. You can use the, the code TUX or T-U-X and that will get you 50% off your ticket to scale. So hope to see you there and let's get on with the show. Red Hat has announced this week that the current CEO, Paul Cormier, will be stepping out of the CEO position and become the chairman of the board, with Matt Hicks becoming the new CEO and president. So Paul became a Red Hatter in 2001 and has been the CEO and president of Red Hat since early 2020 and was handling the reins during a very difficult time due to starting the CEO position basically during the early stages of COVID. So that was definitely an interesting experience, I would assume. But Paul played a pivotal role in Red Hat becoming what it is today as he led the company to transition to focusing on Red Hat Enterprise Linux in 2003 as Red Hat's VP of Engineering. This move resulted in Red Hat becoming the industry's leading enterprise Linux platform, and reports say that it is used by more than 90% of Fortune 500 organizations. So while this move was controversial, it does seem to have paid off for Red Hat in the long run. And the new CEO, Matt Hicks, joined Red Hat in 2006, and prior to becoming the CEO, his position was the company's head of products and technologies. And he said in a note that was really interesting that he sent to Red Hat employees that he never imagined that his career would lead to him having this position. He said, if I had followed my initial path, not raised my hand for certain projects or uh, shied away from contributing ideas and asking questions, I might not be here. This is what I love about Red Hat. And it's something that differenti differentiates us from other companies. Nothing is predetermined and we're only limited by our passion and drive to contribute and make an impact. And that's really awesome. That's one of the things I admire about Red Hat and their philosophy as a culture of a company. And also making the impact is for sure what happened with Matt Hicks, especially through his work with the Red Hat OpenShift project, helping Red Hat become a hybrid cloud technology leader. So this makes a lot of sense to put uh, Matt Hicks in that position. So this is really interesting. If you'd like to learn more about this, this change between the head of Red Hat and what is going to be happening with the positions for Paul Kamir and Matt Hicks, you can learn more by checking the links in the show notes. Linux Mint has a new beta out for testing for those who would like to help test the latest version of Mint. Of course, this is a beta version, so if you are not looking to beta test, I suggest waiting for the production release. Now, Linux Mint has a lot of benefits to using it, but for me, the biggest downside was the upgrade process and how problematic it was. 
Previously, it was expected that every two years, the upgrade process would be a problem for users as the new LTS rebase every two years, which, you know, based on the Ubuntu LTS, would result in compatibility issues. But I'm happy to inform you that Linux Mint has now addressed this issue as of Linux Mint 21 with a new uh, GUI upgrade tool that should make it much easier for existing Mint 20.3 users to upgrade to Mint 21. This is a very nice thing to see. Linux Mint 21 also sees the inclusion of the Cinnamon 5.4 desktop as well as many updated packages from the rebase of Ubuntu 2204 LTS. If you'd like to learn more what what all the changes that happened with Ubuntu 2204 LTS, I will have a link to that in the show notes for a previous episode where we covered that. Uh, Linux Mint also has made some other changes to this release by releasing uh, replacing Blueberry with Blueman for the Bluetooth handling. They have also added a new XApp thumbnailer this is a component that helps you see thumbnails inside of the file manager. And this is for WebP, app image, EPUB, MP3, and raw file types. They've also added a process monitor that to report automated updates and system snapshots in the background and many, many more. But the biggest change to the Cinnamon desktop for 5.4 is certainly the rebasing of its window manager. Muffin is now being rebased to use Mutter 3.36. Mutter is the upstream window manager and compositor for the GNOME shell, and this is a much-needed change for Cinnamon as the previous version of Muffin was based on Mutter 3.2, which was, was released in 2011. So this is very good to see for the window manager of Linux Mint Cinnamon desktop, though I do hope that future updates can be done much more frequently, as this version is currently two years out of date already in regards to the latest version of Mutter. So I hope to see those improvements because these compatibility improvements would be very important for the future of Cinnamon, such as support for the Wayland display server. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Linux Mint 21, or the beta release specifically, or to give the beta a test run if you'd like, you can find links in the show notes. The Lubuntu project has launched Lubuntu Backports PPA to provide Lubuntu users with the latest and greatest LXQt desktop environment releases. So the Lubuntu Backports PPA repository was created due to the request of many Lubuntu users to make it easier to get more recent up-to-date versions of the LXQt desktop environment on top of the latest stable Lubuntu release. So Lubuntu developer Simon Quigley says, as time goes on, our development focus will continue to be on new releases, and we plan on landing and testing changes there prior to pushing them to backports. But that being said, this is a perfect middle ground between stability and new features that users are all experience levels will be able to enjoy. Now, this is fantastic because this makes it easier for people to have the LTS version but still keep updates with the latest version of LXQt desktop environment, which is awesome. So Lubuntu users who add the Backports PPA repository to their system will be able to enjoy the newer features that the non-LTS versions of Ubuntu will release uh, on top of the LTS release thanks to this Backports PPA. Now this means if you install this Backports PPA on 2204 Lubuntu, you will get access to LXQt 1.1.0 instead of the one that came with the 2204, which was LXQt 0.17.0. So very cool news from Lubuntu. But it is important to note that this is a beta version of the PPA, so it's mostly for those wanting to test. And when the stable PPA is released, you will need to replace the beta version with the stable version. So it's, that's important to note. And also another thing that's important to note is that this is only going to work with Lubuntu 2204 LTS at the moment. So if you'd like to learn more about Lubuntu and their backports PPA, then you'll find links in the show notes. 
This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And DigitalOcean gives you support at every stage of growth, whether you're a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. With DigitalOcean, you get simple, powerful cloud computing, and you can get growing at DigitalOcean really easily, regardless of what size of team you have. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started with DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform for free. In fact, it's better than free because they're going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform with that $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Tuxedo Computers has announced Linux support for a really interesting add-on to their Stellaris 15 Gen 4 laptop, and that is external water cooling called Tuxedo Aquarius. So Tuxedo Computers have released in-house Linux drivers and graphical control in the Tuxedo Control Center for their Aquarius laptop water cooling system. So Tuxedo Control Center lets you control the fan speed with three different predefined speeds, such as uh, 50% for slow speed, medium speed at 65%, and fast at 80%, as well as you can kind of just adjust it to whatever, whatever you want, as well as support for the LED light strip control. And if you'd like to learn more about Tuxedo Computer's laptop water cooling system, which I do think you should because it's awesome, but you'll find links in the show notes, but also be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux, where we'll be taking a deeper look at this laptop and the cooling system. So join us live tomorrow at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, or simply download episode 287 of Destination Linux when it's released for more information for this very interesting product. We got some more hardware news to talk about, and that is System76 has announced a new product in their lineup, and that is a new keyboard. This isn't the second generation of their launch keyboard, but more like a variant of it with a smaller form factor. This new keyboard is called the Launch Lite because somehow the launch keyboard wasn't small enough. So the Launch Lite smaller form factor comes from the merging of the function row keys with the number row keys. To me, the Launch Keyboard regular is already pretty small because I use a full-size keyboard. So it's just kind of interesting they made a light version. Now, the Launch Lite keyboard includes a lot of the same benefits of the System76 launch keyboard, such as the multi-layer layouts, open-source milled chassis design with a detachable lift bar to adjust the keyboard's angle by about 15 degrees, which for me, the 15 degrees change was pretty much necessary, uh, but you know that's my preference. And System76 open-source PCB design with the inv- individually addressable RGB LED backlighting and in-key rollover setup. So the launch light also lets you customize layout and lighting in the firmware via the System76 keyboard configurator tool that utilizes their QMK supported firmware. Now this keyboard and the original launch keyboard now also support more switch options. In addition to the original Jade and Royal switches, they now have added a more quiet pink and brown switches. Now, when I ordered my System76 launch keyboard originally, they only had the options of Jade and Royal, so I ordered the Royal switches as they were supposed to be the quieter option. 
Um, let's just say those are far from quiet. I would say not at all quiet. So hopefully this will be better for those who need quiet switches. The original launch keyboard came in at $285, and this new light version is $199, which is still pretty pricey when you compare it to other keyboards. Now, there's a lot of good things about the System76 keyboard, uh, original Linux, because I've not used the light version as it's just been announced, but I purchased the original launch keyboard, and my experience was, well, it wasn't stellar, the build quality of these key this keyboard is outstanding, but it has a lot of issues for my use case. The thing I was most excited for was the configurator, since it supports QMK, but the software is very, very limited, making it feel almost kind of pointless to change anything. Uh, during my testing, macros were not possible, and even remapping a secondary layer key to a combo shortcut like Control-Z or something was simply not possible either. The reason this disappoints me is that QMK is very customizable and supports both of these functions, yet the launch keyboard software didn't. Now, of course, this is a software issue that could be fixed in the future, but there are some hardware issues as well. And if you'd like to check out more about my experience with the launch keyboard, then check out the link in the show notes for the video I made with Ryan, who is a co-host with me on the Hardware Addicts podcast. And I think this is a video that everyone should watch who is looking to potentially, potentially getting one of these keyboards. There are many positive things about this keyboard, but there's also plenty of negative things as well. So it's good to know before you buy the full uh, you know, breakdown of this kind of keyboard. So I don't know much about the Launch Lite keyboard, but I do have a lot of experience with the original Launch keyboard. So check out that link in the show notes for that breakdown. Caliber 6.0 has been released as a new major version of this popular open source ebook management software. And there is a lot of new features, but the biggest feature is definitely the full text search. So Caliber can now optionally index all of the books in your library so you can search your entire library for a word or a phrase. Uh, Caliber 6.0 is also the first release to support ARM64 CPU architecture. This means that you'll finally be able to install your favorite ebook manager on your Raspberry Pi. They've also updated the firmware for support for the Kobo drivers, and they've also improved the dark mode, which is nice. And Caliber 6.0 also adds a read aloud button in the viewer controls to let you read books aloud from the, the current page you're on via the text-to-speech engines, which is so cool. Also, there's a lot more to talk about, and if you'd like to learn more, you can check out the links in the show notes for Caliber 6.0. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords and even usernames for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of that stuff. Plus, you can access your data across many different types of devices like your web browser, your mobile applications, desktop applications, and even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which, of course, is super important for a password manager. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because you can get so much great stuff at less than a dollar per month. 
That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. The Rocky Linux developers have announced the release of Rocky Linux 9.0, which is intended to be a drop-in replacement for CentOS Linux as a clone of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So just like RHEL 9, Rocky Linux 9 ships with GNOME 40 as the desktop uh, the desktop environment default, and due to the nature of Rocky Linux being a RHEL derivative, it is expected that most of the new features in Rocky Linux are very similar to what's new in RHEL 9.0. So if you'd like to learn more about the improvements and enhancements Red Hat made for RHEL 9.0, then check out episode 198 of This Week in Linux, where I did a much deeper dive into the RHEL 9 features. I'll have that episode linked in the show notes. Since Rocky Linux is a derivative of RHEL that is intended to be as close as possible to RHEL, it's sometimes referred to as bug-for-bug compatibility or bit-for-bit compatibility, this begs the question, what is the differentiator for Rocky Linux? Now, the difference between Rocky and RHEL is clear because Rocky is intended to be a free a derivative versus a commercial offering of RHEL. However, the bigger question to me is what is the difference between the two most known derivatives of RHEL being Rocky Linux and Alma Linux? Now, some people think the difference for Rocky Linux is this new open source build system called Peridot or Perido that lets you build your own version of Rocky. Now, I've seen people talk about this being the differentiator, but in my opinion, it isn't really one because Alma Linux already has one of those called ALBS, which stands for Alma Linux Build System, which is also what you can do the same thing with Alma Linux. And the ALBS system was released a few weeks ago before the Peridot one came out. So I bring this up because every time I see people uh, ask Rocky Linux what sets them apart from Alma Linux, there doesn't seem to be a clear answer provided. I mean... To me, the only differences I see is that Rocky Linux is a little bit slower than what Alma Linux does. So Alma Linux makes releases faster. Uh, For example, Alma Linux 9.0 was released almost two months ago versus Rocky Linux being released this week. And another difference seems to be Alma Linux is structured more for community collaboration with their nonprofit organization versus the way that Rocky Linux is structured where there's companies involved and that sort of thing. Now, I admit I'm not an expert in enterprise Linux infrastructure, so of course I could be missing something. And if anyone knows and would like to inform me on what basically is the appeal of Rocky Linux apart from their competitors, please leave me a comment below. I would very much like to know that. But for now, if you'd like to learn more about Rocky Linux 9.0, link in the show notes. Yesterday, we found out that there is currently work being done to port XFCE's window manager XFWM4 to support Wayland. Now, this new XFWay compositor is being developed using the WLRoots library that first came out from the Sway project, which was intended to make it possible to use i3 sort of workflow on Wayland. Now, it's not i3 itself. It's it's a i3-like workflow. Now, this is very cool to hear that XFCE is working on support for Wayland because it is... You know, it's it was up in the air as to whether or not that would be happening for this classic desktop environment because there's been a lot of legacy code in it, so they'd have to port a lot of stuff to make this work. So I'm really happy to see that they are making this effort to have Wayland support so that the future of the XFC desktop is clear. So that's awesome to see. 
And if you'd like to learn more about this news related to support for XFCE on Wayland, you'll find links in the show notes. In a previous episode of Twill, we talked about the poor performance of the Firefox snaps being an issue for some users as the amount of time required to open Firefox as a snap was surprisingly long. In episode 199, we also talked about how Ubuntu have been working on improving the performance of the snapped Firefox, and today I have some even better news to share with you related to that. So Oliver Smith of Ubuntu wrote in a blog post recently about the improvements that they have been making for the launch time of the snapped Firefox. There have been two major improvements since last update. The first is a change from Mozilla regarding how Firefox handling uh, language packs. And the second is an update to the GNOME and GTK theme snaps that Firefox depends on. They've added a lot of compression to those theme snaps, making it much faster to load. So they say that these changes have shown significant startup performance, looking to deliver an average of 50% reduction in start time after a fresh install compared to Firefox 101. Now, this is great to hear. I mean, it's still rather slow compared to traditional packaging of other distros using, but this is still great to see this kind of performance improvements that are being made, and hopefully they will continue to be made. As I also hope that they learn their lesson and have software ready to be shipped as snaps before they ship them as snaps next time. Just a pro tip there. On a previous episode, I just want to point out that on a previous episode of Twill and on Destination Linux, there were comments from some people suggesting that maybe people were overreacting with how long the snaps of Firefox takes to load. And I would just like to point out that if if it wasn't an issue, then Ubuntu likely wouldn't be making a series of blog posts detailing the work they're doing to improve the issues. So there's that. Now, I'm not going to say I told you so, but... Uh, If you'd like to learn more about how I told you so, you can find links in the show notes. (laughs) Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics as well as hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing by going to tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have there like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and much more. We even have a new collection for Wendy of Hardware Addicts and Linux Out Loud called Sinister Wendy. You can check that out at tuxdigital.com store. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. Now, just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>